back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Ready? Place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Ah. Good afternoon, everyone. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it is time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered as always by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. How's it going out there? I hope you're all having a great Monday afternoon. I hope everything's going well for you here on this 27th day of June, the final Monday of the month. Just to let you know, next week the podcast will be on Tuesday as next Monday happens to be the 4th of July, but uh, we'll focus on that uh, later on. Uh, Hope you all had a fun, exciting, safe uh, week and weekend, (coughs) A, a week that of course in the world of sports as usual, and as you can tell, I still have that cough, um, had a lot of excitement, a lot of craziness between what is going on and about to happen in the NBA and leaving a lot of uh, frustrated basketball fans in this area, both Knicks and Nets. Uh, You had the end of what turned out to be a pretty good, pretty solid Stanley Cup final, as well as, once again, the end of a future Hall of Fame career in the NFL, but I'll get to that a little bit later on because I want to start this week, of course, with what I've always referred to as, when it comes to sports, the favorite child, if you want to uh, refer to it that way. My favorite team in all of professional sports, the best team in baseball, our New York Yankees, who sit here today at 53-20 and 20 with the best record in the sport. And two weeks ago, I sat here and talked about how they were about to go on a two-week stretch that you could argue was the toughest of their season. You could argue was, you know, a real litmus test for this team. Because they had gone on that incredible run in in the month of May into June where they had separated themselves from the rest of the division. You know, at the start of this month, their their closest competitor in the division was the Rays were about four and a half games back. Now they sit here and they have a double-digit lead on every team in the division. In fact, the Rays, Blue Jays, and Red Sox are all closer to the Orioles than they are the Yankees at this very moment. And the Yankees, over this two-week stretch that had been talked about everywhere, 
did what you would want them to do. Did what they needed to do. Going 9-4. and four. On the surface, you look at that and you say, wow, 13 games against three teams that you could see in the postseason this coming October. Three teams that coming into this year had World Series designs just like the Yankees, even with how beat up and um, injury ravaged the Rays are, you still have to respect them. They have somehow found a way over the years. Toronto has a tough lineup, even with losing Hung Shin Ru for uh, the season. And of course, the Houston Astros, who I think they've, for right now at least, with the cord that they still have there with the likes of uh, Altuve, Bregman, Guriel, Verlander, those guys who were key pieces in both eliminating the Yankees in 2017 and 2019, still being in the mix uh, there and being prominent pieces there, even with some of the guys that have left them via free agency in the last couple of years. I think for at least right now, they have passed both the Red Sox and the Rays as the Yankees' number one rival. Now, who knows, in, in time, as Toronto uh, starts to grow up and mature, they could possibly take that mantle. But it, as we know, it's a, it's a personal thing. It's, you know, that there's that grudge from Yankee fans everywhere, including yours truly, that we'll just never be able to let what happened in 2017 go. Because I've long said it, the 2017 Yankees were a team that had the biggest free pass in the world and we'll we'll never see a Yankee team like that again where they come in with no expectations and would not get killed if they failed in the postseason. So this, this past weekend, it was a personal thing for Yankee fans everywhere and Quite frankly, let's face it, the Yankees are lucky that they got out with a split. They're lucky that they salvaged a split in this series because they didn't hit up much. And in fact, since last Tuesday, when DJ LeMahieu had an RBI single in the second inning, they have not driven in a run other than anything with the home involving a home run. The only non home run run they have scored was on Judge's walk off single in uh, last Thursday's exciting game. And you would have thought that Thursday's game would have been a launching point for the Yankees in this series. You know, Tyon battled his way through, kept the game close, kept the game with within reach, even after giving up the three run homer. Uh, to Bregman in the first inning. And the Yankees' bullpen was able to keep it within a three-run game before they just took off against uh, uh, Ryan Presley in that ninth inning. You know, t- 
tie in the game <laughs> with probably Aaron Hicks's biggest hit as a Yankee in a couple of years. I mean, at least since that home run he had against Verlander in the 2019 postseason. And that was just a an absolute bomb uh, of a homer there by Hicks. And, you know, kind of got some of the fans off his back because, you know, as we know, it's been a struggle to start this year for him. And he finally has a big moment and was cheered by the Yankee Stadium crowd for most of the rest of the weekend. You figure with that game tying homer and then judges single that it would have been a launching point for the Yankees to possibly take three out of four or maybe even sweep the Astros. But the next night they couldn't solve uh, Verlander. We're only able to scratch off one run after he left the game. And then Saturday for the second time in franchise history, they get no hit by multiple pitchers on the Houston Astros staff. Almost, you know, almost 19 years to the day of uh, the last time uh, the Astros did. This kid, Christian Javier, who I'm sure most Yankee fans never heard of before, but now are fully aware of him after he shut them down. And what was embarrassing is it carried over until the next day. They went on a stretch where they were like 0 for 51, 0 for 52, just could not get a hit. But once Stanton had the the home run in the seventh to break up the no-hitter, seemed to start to loosen this team up. And when LeMayu had the game-tying home run in the eighth, you really had the feel that, oh, the, the Yankees are going to win this game. They had their best two relievers in Holmes and King uh, ready to go and were able to shut the Astros down for the last couple innings until Judge hit the walk-off home run in the 10th to salvage a split. And, you know, it, in the past, you would have been like, all right, I'll take a split uh, against the Astros in a four-game set. But, you know, a lot of these pitchers that they're running out there are unknown to us. A lot of these guys are unproven guys. It's not like a couple of years ago when they were running out the likes of Dallas Keuchel, Charlie Morton, um, Lance McCullers, although I think he's still in that organization. We just didn't see him uh, this weekend. Guys that would legitimately shut the Yankees down. These were these were a bunch of kids going out there and doing this to the Yankees the last couple of days. But they were able twice to get to what has been the Astros bugaboo against the Yankees in recent years, and that is their bullpen and salvage a split here. As, as I said, my two concerns with this team right now are the fact that they have haven't scored much without home hitting home runs in the uh, last week. They've had clutch hits. You know, Trevino having a go-ahead home run in last Wednesday's comeback victory. Hicks and Judge on Thursday. Uh, Stanton, LeMayu, and Judge yesterday to uh, come back from uh, pull a victory from the jaws of defeat there. And hopefully that changes a bit when uh, they're playing the A's uh, 
these next couple days because uh, the A's seem like a team ripe for the picking, a team that's going to be selling off whatever they can at uh, the trade deadline. But you can't always just rely on uh, the home run. Sometimes it's not going to be there. The other concern that I do have with this team is as good as their starting rotation has been, there is some durability concerns. And it's something that this team, this organization, they're already looking at based on the fact that one of these next three games is going to be started by uh, J.P. Sears coming up from the minor leagues. They're going to give everybody an extra day since they don't have a day off until next Monday. And it's important to look at that because this is Severino's first full season as a starting pitcher since 2018. As good as he's been, you worry about him wearing down here. I'd like to see them allow Montgomery to pitch deeper into starts and not continue this theme that's been going on with him where they pull him somewhere between 75 and 85 pitches every time out. If he can go uh, 100 pitches over seven innings, let him do that. That protects the bullpen and uh, leaves them fully rested to ease some of the pressure on Severino and especially Nestor Cortez, who as great a story as he's been this year, as fun as he's been to watch, You're starting to see him come back down to earth just a little bit these last several starts. The first 10 starts, it was a dream season. He was leading the league in ERA, uh, was phenomenal in the first 60 innings he pitched this year. Last four starts, he's got an ERA of just under six and and a whip of of 1.37 and hasn't been as stellar, been kind of a battle for him to get through these starts. That's why, as I said, you're seeing Sears make a start this week. You're also hearing already rumblings of the Yankees looking at the trade market this coming uh, July to add a starting pitcher, potentially. But even with all that, you sit here, you should be happy. You should be excited as a Yankee fan because – It feels different than previous years. You know, they're getting the big hits in the big spots. They're getting very good starting pitching. They're playing very good defense. You're seeing guys play out of position at times and still play well, including the face of the franchise, Aaron Judge, who even more so than these wins against the Astros on Thursday and Sunday, I thought the most important win that the Yankees had over the weekend was not going to the arbitration hearing with Judge on Friday and agreeing to a settlement where he's getting 19 million this year. He'll make 100. He'll make 250 grand if he's the league MVP and 250 grand if he's the World Series MVP. There's such a good vibe with this team right now that you don't want to risk ruining that based off of an arbitration here in which I've heard about these things. They get nasty at at times. The, The team, the person who's representing the team almost has to go in there and talk shit about the player so that they can 
win the hearing so they can um, pay what they want rather than the player getting what they want. And you, you don't want to have that happen because you're already losing the battle of public opinion when it comes to Judge and his future with this franchise. The overwhelming majority of Yankee fans are on Aaron Judge's side. The overwhelming majority of Yankee fans not only wanted him to win arbitration, but want this guy in pinstripes for life. And he's got a lot of good things going in his favor when it comes to his next contract. A, showing the ability to easily slide over from right field to center field and continue to play gold glove caliber defense. It hasn't been the problem or physically as physically taxing as I was concerned that it would be. Also, there's <laughs> the the fact that, you know, he's homegrown. He's done everything you could ask him to do. Now, there's the concern about the fact that he's had a few injuries, but I wouldn't put the label of him being injury prone because let's remember, the first time he got hurt was based on the fact that a young pitcher came inside and hit him on the hand and knocked him out for, uh, what, six to eight weeks there. There was nothing he could do about uh, that. It's not like he's always, you know, rolling his ankle or constantly straining his oblique. That was a, an issue one time for uh, this guy, the, the, uh, the dreaded oblique strain. And when he's on the field, he's been constantly one of the best players in the sport. And like I said, he's homegrown. He's your guy. You drafted him in 2013, developed him. He came up in 2016. And while that, what, 24-game stretch he had that year wasn't anything to write, off, write home about, the next year he took off. Should have been the league MVP. Won the rookie of the year that year. He's done, other than win a World Series, he's done everything you could ask him to do and been as humble and graceful a face of the franchise as you could find. Now, outside of yesterday, when on the field he told Meredith Morakovich he's the best player on the team, which he, he kind of said that with a little bit of a chuckle. Plus, what he, he has going for him is that this franchise moved heaven and earth to get Garrett Cole. They gave Garrett Cole nine years for $324 million. At the time, the, high, the highest AVA for any starting pitcher in baseball history. The largest contract ever given to a free agent pitcher. And he was 29 about to turn 30 years old. Well, here you have a position player that's 29, about to turn 30 years old, homegrown, 
shouldn't you be showing him that same kind of respect? Especially because it's not like there aren't other teams out there that can't spend. I continue to bring them up. The San Francisco Giants have a payroll going into next year of about $104 million. The Dodgers are only on the books next year for $140 million. And there's always the looming threat of the New York Mets with Steve Cohen and the fact that money is no problem for this guy, that he's willing to go out there and spend whatever and however much it takes to put the best team possible in baseball on the field. So the Yankees are going to have to buck up here and up that offer. And I think it's something that they should address during this year, even though he's having a, a historic year, almost giving the front office a uh, a player's version of the middle finger with how dominant he's been saying, yeah, I saw your your offer of $31 million a year. I want more. And quite frankly, he deserves more. And let's hope that more is here with the Yankees and not someone else. All right, going to take first break of uh, the podcast, but Plenty to get to uh, over the next hour here. Give you some thoughts on the Stanley Cup final, the NBA with the draft uh, last week, in particular uh, the the two teams in our area, and once again a soon-to-be NFL Hall of Famer decides to call it quits. Is it real for this time? So plenty to get to over the next well, about 45 minutes or so here glad you guys could join me this week at this time as i usually tell you please sit back relax help put your feet up on the table if you feel like it and continue keeping it sports with m3 i'll be back Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon. You know, it's a victorious Monday. It's a to the victors go the spoils Monday as last night the 2022 
NHL season came to a close with the Colorado Avalanche winning their third Stanley Cup in franchise history. First one in 21 years. And I'll give them a lot of credit because, as I said, to beat be the man, you got to beat the man. And they beat the man. They overcame a lightning team that had achieved some pretty special things in the, these last couple of years. Beat a goaltender in Vasilevsky that some people out there are already putting up on the Mount Rushmore of goaltenders. Already talking about him amongst some of the other great all-time goaltenders, including the greatest of all time, Martin Brodeur. You've seen that thrown around here the last couple of days. Now, Lightning, they didn't go down without a fight. I mean, you figured that they were going to battle, figured that they were going to you know, put up a respectable threat against uh, the Avalanche here. And after they won game three in the fashion that they did, I mean, the fact you had six different guys score, but uh, Vasilevsky was uh, just seemingly unsolvable for most of that game for the Avalanche. Figured that they were going to tie this thing up and uh, we were going to have a seven-game series on our hands here. But, you know, give the Avalanche a lot of credit. For, first off, uh, Kumper, while he's... Not in the same ballpark as uh, Vasilevsky as a goaltender. He was very solid throughout this series. It, it does help having the kind of young talent you have around you that you know he wasn't facing the same night as many shots as uh, Vasilevsky was fa uh, facing most nights. He didn't have the pressure um, up in his face uh, most of the game, most of these games, uh, that uh, his his uh, teammates were putting on uh, Vasilevsky throughout this series. And even though you know, the Lightning showed a lot of spirit, showed a lot of fight, uh, Palat with the game winner in game five to force a, a game six uh, last night, you know, this Avalanche team, they're just very deep, very young. They, you know, it, it's more than just uh, 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 McKinnon there. You know, they're probably hopeful that they can keep Kumper now, who's going to be a free agent as their goaltender years to come. You've got uh, Arturi uh, uh, Lukanen, uh, you know, Cal uh, Maker, very well deserving of the Conn Smite uh, trophy. You know, 29 goals in a 20-game span. And remember, that trophy is given for the best player on the winning team um, for the MVP of the entire playoffs. It wasn't just always oh, performance in the, the cup final. It's the entire playoffs because if... You're talking cup final. I, I think there was an argument to be made for Kumper winning uh, the uh, the Conn Smite just based on the fact that 
he had to play outplay one of the great goaltenders that we've seen in recent memory. But you look at this, the Avalanche, they had a youth advantage. They had a speed advantage. They were more physical than the, the, the Lightning. They took advantage of more of their power play opportunities. And, you know, the, the Lightning just going two for 19 power play wise, not going to get it done. And what also probably came, well, I don't want to take it, take any credit away from the Avalanche. You have to think that at some point, the Lightning were going to run out of gas. You look at it, this postseason was different unlike any other postseason where these guys were playing night in, night out. They were having one day off in between games here because they wanted to make sure that the season ended before the end of June so we can get things back on the schedule that it it normally is starting next year. But in the last three years, the Lightning have played 68 playoff games. Now, while not a lot of those series went the full seven games, I think they played all of two seven-game series in that entire run, that's almost a fourth year on their bodies in a three-year span. Now, at some point, they were going to run into someone that did not have that kind of taxing toll on them. Someone that, quite frankly, this year was just better. But hey, they're going to be back. They're, they're, they're going to have pretty much, both of these teams are going to have pretty much the same core going into next year. That's why, you know, Caesars Sportsbook already has them both listed as the top two favorites to win the cup next year. The Avalanche are at six to one. The Lightning are at eight to one. And after that, there's no other team in the single digits as far as odds making. You look at it, the Hurricanes and the Rangers, the two teams that they um, knocked off uh, respectively, or the two teams that the, uh, the Lightning knocked off to get here. They're both listed as 10 to 1. Then you've got four teams, including two uh, of the Canadian teams, the Maple Leafs and the Oilers, listed at 12 to 1. The Penguins are at 20 to 1. And that's kind of, to me, that's kind of an iffy there because remember, it sounds like they're going to be breaking up the core of that team uh, this off season um, with Malkin moving on, even though they're still going to have Crosby <laughs> in the mix there. Got to get over this cough. Some of our locals, the Islanders are 40 to 1. The Devils are 100 to 1, but they're still um, given a better chance than the Flyers. I guess Caesars doesn't like them signing uh John Tortorella, but hey, it was a fun, exciting um, Stanley Cup playoff season here, especially uh, these finals and the series um, in the Eastern Conference final between uh, uh, the Rangers and uh, the Lightning. And, you know, the, the league's in a pretty good place here. The league, with all of these uh, 
young players with um, McKinnon, with uh, uh, Connor McDavid, um, amongst others, even, you know, uh, with the, the likes of a Johnny Goodrow, even some of the veteran stars that are still, uh, you know, getting it done with Crosby and, and Ovechkin still having, you know, a bit to go in uh, their primes. The league looks like it's heading in a very good direction, a very exciting direction heading into next season. Now, before I talked about uh, Aaron Judge and him with his free agent decision coming up, well, we saw something similar to this in the last couple of months with Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman was an Atlanta Brave forever. I thought he was going to be a Brave for life. And the Braves made him a very respectable offer this offseason. Five years for $140 million. But really can't blame him for wanting that extra year of security. I mean, he's 32 years old. It was the first time he's ever hit free agency. So he took six years from uh, the Dodgers and didn't look back. I mean, Dodgers have one of the best teams in baseball. And just like the Braves, consistently give you a chance to win. Well, he made his return to Atlanta this past weekend. And now we've never seen players when they return places, get as emotional as he did. Remember, his his press conference on Friday, he got so choked up, so emotional, he had to actually walk out of the room, take a deep breath, and compose himself before coming back in a couple of uh, minutes later because he's looking around, he's seeing so many people that he grew up around. So many members of the, of the media that had in some cases, probably become like family to him, probably become his norm there for the last 14 years because he grew up a Brave. He was drafted by this team in 2007. He's been with that organization since he was you know, 17, 18 years old. So it was probably an emotional spot for him coming back for the first time. Now, you know, there's going to be people that say, oh, get over it. You got an extra $22 million from uh, the Dodgers. And he's not going to be crying when counting his uh, bank account. But at the same time, emotional thing for him. And comes at, it came at a time where, A, he gets his World Series ring from the team, and B, the Braves are in the midst of this hot streak here in June. If you know, if between them and the Yankees, the two hottest teams this month, I'll probably say the Braves are a bit hotter when you you look at uh, what they've done here, winning 19 of 24 games this month. Their offense has really gotten uh, going, and it, a lot of that based on Acuna getting more in the mix, more in the flow of this season. Now, what does hurt them a little bit, even though he wasn't hitting a whole lot, 
they lost to Ozzy Albies probably till close to September with a fractured left foot a couple of weeks ago. And even though he was hitting about 220 in the first two weeks of this month, had really gone into a bit of a cold spell there. This is a guy that's been an important part an important player on this team the last couple of years and there's so much there's only so much you can expect from fill-in type players so now you're without him for the next two weeks or two months excuse me puts a little bit of a, a cramp in your uh, attempt to come back from against the Mets in this division who they won two out of three in their own right against the Marlins over the weekend gained a game against the Braves, who had creeped up as high as four games back, now sit there at five games behind the Mets in the East. Uh, they're currently the first wild card spot in the National League. And to show you what kind of run it's been for the Braves, on June 1st, they were 10 and a half games back. And they're the only team in that division that has any shot of catching the Mets, even with the Mets at some point getting Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom back. And the, the Scherzer stuff over the weekend with, with where he was going to pitch and why he didn't pitch at one of uh, the the minor league teams either uh, yesterday or today was kind of confounding. And you know, Buck kind of gave a, a weird answer uh, with uh, that. But they're the only team that could possibly catch the Mets for this division when you consider the Phillies just lost Bryce Harper to a fractured thumb over the weekend and that could spell DOA for uh, their season so we'll see how things go as this summer rages on here if the Braves are able to keep this up and be (laughs) looking over the Mets shoulder all season long. All right, I'm going to go try to stop coughing and take another break here. When I come back, I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA because you've got some concern by Nets fans right now and a lot of anger and annoyance by Knicks fans. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO.
So this coming Thursday begins an important day on the NBA calendar. This Thursday at 6 p.m. begins NBA free agency. And what's always so funny to me about their free agency is that, oh, they refer to it as the legalized tampering period. But you always have a situation where 6 p.m. rolls around and all of a sudden somebody has a new team. It's like, hmm, how the hell did that happen? You weren't allowed to talk to him for the, for the last couple of days. And you've got players that have decisions that need to be made between now and then. That have to make decisions by Wednesday with their player options. You know, James Harden has a player option for $47.4 million uh, next year. He's going to remain with the 76ers. Just the 76ers are out of their damn minds if they give him a four-year extension for $223 million. Clearly, clearly, the guy does not know how to keep himself in shape and uh, is not as... I. We're not asking him to be LeBron James. We're asking him to not show up like um, overweight and trying to get in shape as the season goes along. And that's been what's been leading to his hamstring injuries the last couple of years and the fact that he's lost a step or two here. Doesn't have quite the burst that you're used to seeing with him. Bradley Beal's also got a player option that... He's going to decline but sign a five-year, um, $248 million max extension with the Wizards. Why he continues to stay with that franchise, I will never understand. I mean, they had a good night on draft night drafting the young kid Johnny Davis, who has a chance to be a pretty good player in this league. But the Wizards, you know, they've, they've made the playoffs one time with Beal. Why, why, why is he so obsessed with staying there. Why is he so obsessed? I mean, there must be, you know, something in the area down there in our nation's capital that he's absolutely in love with because I'm, I'm sure, you know, his family would be okay with moving if that meant he was going into a more, you know, winning situation. Then there's the, the scenario that I've got my eye on, that I've got, my focus locked in on. And that's what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving. And talked about this a little bit last week, how there's been a pause, that uh, an impasse, should we say, in the discussions, in the negotiations between Kyrie and the Nets on his future with this team. Kyrie wants the <coughs> max extension, whether it's he opts into his contract for next year and gets four years, $196 million, or he opts out and signs five years for $248 million with the Nets. And the Nets have shook their head at him like, no, and rightfully so, because you look at 
his time with the Brooklyn Nets, there's been the possibility of him to play 226 games. He's only played in 103 of those games. That means he's missed 123 games, whether it be to legitimate injury, running and hiding after the January 6th insurrection attempt at the Capitol, and then the fact that he wouldn't get vaccinated this past year to allow him to play in home games. And remember, early in the year, Andrew Wiggins was going to try to pull that same thing with the Warriors. He wasn't going to get vaccinated. But then for the betterment of the team, he put his beliefs aside, and that led to him becoming an NBA champion with the Golden State Warriors. He was 100% all in. Kyrie Irving, you can't say that about. Because you know that if you give him that kind of deal, you give him all the, the power in the world. And even though the vaccine mandates have ended in New York City, you never know. There's going to be, I'm telling you, they give, they cave to this guy. They give him whatever deal he wants. There'll be something else next year. There will be something else. He will come up with some other non-basketball-related excuse. Whatever cause that he ever chooses to come up with being supportive of at that given time, he will look at as an excuse on why he cannot play uh, NBA basketball games. There's always something with this guy. It always creeps up somewhere along the way. What I find funny, you know, you've seen the reports from Woj and Shams the, the last couple days about Kyrie's people putting this out there. And this is coming from Kyrie's people, not the Nets. The, the Nets have put seemingly put their foot in the ground when it comes to Kyrie Irving. But Kyrie's people have put out there that if he can't reach an agreement to stay with the the Brooklyn Nets, he's got a list of teams that he'd like them to consider on sign-in trades, including the Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Mavs, and 76ers, which makes you shake your head because, A, first of all, none of these teams have the cap space to sign him as an outright free agent. So he would have to go there in a sign and trade. But there's a there's a theory that I've always heard growing up. And that is, it takes two to tango. And that is especially true in this case. Because he can list all of these teams all he wants. Who's to say these, these teams even want to put up with him and his nonsense? Let's put the Miami Heat out there. The Miami Heat, if he goes there, he's got no power. Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, they ain't putting up with this crap. Goes to the Mavericks. Mark Cuban, he's in charge. You got a Hall of Fame point guard in Jason Kidd as the head coach there. Luka Doncic, the star there. So at most, Kyrie Irving is fourth on the totem pole there. 76ers are not trading for him because... They'd have to give up some of their young players. And James Harden, 
The main reason he forced his way out of Brooklyn was he didn't want to put up with Kyrie's nonsense anymore. So you think that he's going to sign on to stay with the Sixers and deal with more of Kyrie's BS? The Nets are not making a trade with the New York Knicks. It's not. It's just not happening. And they, those franchises will never do a deal with each other. Kawhi Leonard, you think he's going to put up with any of Kyrie's crap there in L.A.? That leaves one option there, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. And what do the Lakers have that the Nets would actually be interested in? I heard Fox Sports 1's Nick Wright bring up last week uh, on uh, his TV show the idea of a trade of Kyrie and Ben Simmons for AD and Westbrook. And while, to me, on paper, I'd say, sign me up, I'll go pick him a up at the airport, you get the best player in that deal, and Westbrook's only got one year left on his contract, there's no way LeBron James would ever sign off on that. Though LeBron and Kyrie have seemingly mended fences the uh, last couple of years, so much so that people have began talking about, oh, could the Lakers be a title contender if they reunited um LeBron and Kyrie. And it it I thought it was funny some of the comments that Draymond Green had, had been saying, um, especially bringing up how Kyrie has not proven to be a great leader. LeBron will put an umbrella over that. If, uh, if you can do what you're good at, you have LeBron James leading. They could contend, but they uh, won't beat us. Still have to throw that little wrinkle in there but even though they've mended fences I'd be surprised that if Kyrie won the team with LeBron again based on the fact that he forced his way out of there just because he didn't want to play little brother role to LeBron anymore and all of this is an attempt to gain some kind of leverage for Kyrie against the Nets which quite frankly he has not all right, he has done this all to himself. This, and this is not a narrative. This is not me trying to make something up. We've seen all of this play out right in front of us. Whether it be not going to the bubble because he had shoulder cleanup surgery and then tried to use social justice issues as the reason why the bubble shouldn't happen when he found out he couldn't enter. Disappeared for two weeks after the January 6th insurrection. And like I said last week, he can use oh, family parties as an excuse all he wants. Everybody else has got families. Everyone else has things that they um, miss because of their career. He's just the only one not willing to sacrifice for the good of a team. And the Nets are doing 100% the right thing by putting him in his place here. Now, Nick fans wish this is the kind of problem that they had to deal with. Wish that this kind of drama was the kind of stuff they had to deal with on a day-in, day-out basis. Because draft night had to be one of those nights where if you're a Nick fan, you're pulling your hair out. You're screaming about because it was... It was confounding on so many levels what 
the Knicks were doing on draft night. Now, a couple of the players that were the apple of their eye went off the board before they were able to take them. Between Jaden Ivey, uh, the guard from Purdue, as well as Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. Both guys that the Knicks had looked into trading up so that they could select either one of them because would have fit the need that they've had forever for a real legitimate point guard in that franchise. But the Knicks made three trades on draft night. Each time you're looking at like, huh? Because first they selected Ozeme uh, Dieng with the 11th overall pick, a guy that no one ever even heard of before. It's one of these international players that the Barclays Center, filled with mostly Nick fans, were booing the living crap out of on Thursday night. And within five seconds of him walking off the stage with a Knicks hat on, he's getting traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder for three future first-round picks, all of which have heavy protection over all of them. They would end up, you know, within an hour, trading one of those first-round picks. The, the third one that came to them via the Denver Nuggets, that's 1 through 14 protected until 2025. That, along with four future second-round draft picks, to go get Jalen Duran, who the Hornets selected 13th overall. And at that point, you're thinking, all right, you know what? I'm good if I'm a Knicks fan. A young player that could go along with what we're trying to build here, continuing to try and build around R.J. Barrett. And if Julius Randle can get his act together next year, if he's still here, still got Toppin, uh, still got Emmanuel quickly. See what we could possibly do in free agency. But no, a short time later, the Knicks would turn around and trade him to get another first-round pick that comes in 2025 from the Pistons via the Milwaukee Bucks that's 1-4 through four protected. And they did that just so that they can get Kemba Walker's contract off the books. So in total, you look at this, the Knicks traded two players that were drafted in the lottery, the Denver Nuggets 2023 first round draft pick, that's protected, and four future second round draft picks, just so that they could get a a first round pick next year from Detroit that's protected heavily through uh, 2027, a first-round draft pick from the Washington Wizards that's protected um, at, at the very least 1 through 8 through 2026, and a 2025 first-round pick from the Bucks that's 1 through 4 protected, as well as clear out $18 million of cap space. Traded all of those picks just so they could get that kind of cap space so that possibly they can make a run at Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson, who's a good player, he's grown on me the last couple of years, 
but you should not be turning over heaven and earth with your end game being Jalen Brunson. This is not what Nick fans want to hear. This is not what Nick fans want to see. And this fan base, God bless them. You know, sometimes I think that they're more delusional than the Dallas Cowboy fans are with this whole bing bong and uh, uh, Nick's tape stuff and all, all this other crap I see from them on social media. But quite frankly, I feel bad for them because every time you take a step forward, they then take 10 steps back. Last year, they were the fourth seed in the, the Eastern Conference playoffs. Then they made moves in free agency that none of them worked out. Evan Fournier was a bust for the most part. Kemba Walker barely could get his ass on the court. They seemed to fall apart once Derrick Rose went out with an injury. And Tom Thibodeau was too stubborn to give real legitimate minutes to the young guys who, when they got to play, you know, talking about top and talking about quickly, even Grimes showed that they could play in this league, but he was too steadfast in his beliefs of playing veteran players, including giving minutes to the biggest baby in all of New York professional sports, Julius Randle. And all of this going on, and we still do not hear from Leon Rose. He just puts out a press release, puts out a little press release talking about how, oh, they gained so much draft capital, uh, set themselves up for the future, and clearing out some cap space. How about you get in front of a camera, go on MSG, and speak to your fans. Talk in front of the media. We never hear from this guy. We hear from maybe once a year. And other than that, he's a ghost. Hell, we heard from Phil Jackson more than we hear from Leon Rose. And Phil Jackson was one of the worst executives in professional sports history. He he almost set the Knicks franchise back a decade. But Leon Rose and World Wide West, they came in. It looked like they were starting to do things the right way. Brought in a real coach who emphasized defense. We're making moves. It just so happens those free agent moves didn't work out. And so far, the extension for Julius Randle has not worked out. But why don't you talk to your fans? Why don't you uh, let them hear your voice? No, let them know your feelings on what you're doing and let them know what the plan is. Because it, quite frankly, it doesn't seem like there is a real, true, legitimate plan when it comes to the Knicks. The only saving grace that you could save right now is that James Dolan is staying out of it. And quite frankly, maybe you wish that he wasn't in, in the mix of things because maybe there would be a more clear path direction on where the Knicks are heading this offseason. Going to take one last break, come back, close things out for this week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Can 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Okay, only a few more minutes left here, but we're going to finish keeping it sports with M3 out this week by first reminding you of all the places you can find the podcast each and every single week. First on Facebook.com slash Keeping Sports with M3. Go there, click the like button. As well as find me on Twitter. My personal account is at M3 Rosansky. And our Twitter account for the podcast, it's at Keeping It Sports. And on Instagram, uh, find me under Keeping underscore it underscore sports underscore with underscore M3. All the places that you can find this podcast across social media. One of the big uh, developments that occurred over the last week was Deshaun Watson finally uh, reaching almost a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to all of these civil suits that he's facing. Remember, it has gone up to 24 civil suits for sexual misconduct against him from uh, former massage therapists of his. There were reports that was going to get as high as 26, but that has never manifested itself. But he's agreed to settlements with, as we speak, 20 of the 24 um, uh, complainants uh, against him. So now we're, we're starting to get a little bit of a clearer direction of where things are going to go because... Until these were all settled, uh, one way or another, because remember, back in February, it was deemed that he's not going to face any criminal charges. He, but he, he needed to come to a settlement in each of uh, these uh, cases. Until the cases were done, and, and unless there were any more women to come forward uh, making claims against uh, Watson, the NFL was just kind of sitting on their hands waiting and wondering when do we make a decision here when can we make a true ruling here on a punishment and you know the texans did not want to wait around uh, and deal with it because remember that relationship had pretty much fallen apart so they they traded him to the cleveland browns where 
he's now their problem. And I just hope that, you know, with tomorrow going to be the discipline, the beginnings of the discipline hearing uh, for Watson with the, the league, I do hope that the league, whether it's behind the scenes or publicly, kind of puts uh, the clamps down, not just for him when it comes to punishment here, but on the Cleveland Browns. Because one thing that I was disgusted about is the way that the Cleveland Browns were able to work out the deal with him, where two days prior to the trade, he didn't want to go there. He was not willing to agree to a contract extension to him. But then they came back and offered him five years for $230 million, fully guaranteed, and made his base salary for this year $1 million, in which they expect him to get suspended for a large portion, if not all of this year. And then the other four years, he gets 57.25 million dollars. I hope that they they put the clamps down on the Browns and say, you are not allowed to rework this deal, not allowed to stretch the deal out in, in any way. This is the deal you came to, and now it's the bed you've got to live in. The fact that you gave this guy a deal, a poison pill kind of deal, just so that he would agree uh, to uh, come to you. And quite frankly, the fact that in all likelihood, it's going to be almost two years since he played football, while at one point I was a fan of this guy, kind of disgusted, more than kind of, I am disgusted with the way that... He's handled this and how he's acted since then. I mean, this brings a bad light on a guy that I thought was one of the best character guys in the sport. And I really do hope that he is average at best when he finally takes the field for the Cleveland Browns and they're left paying a middle-of-the-pack quarterback $50 million-plus for the next four seasons after this year. Now, there is one guy who we're not sure if he's going to take the field this year. And that would be Rob Gronkowski. And I say not sure because last Tuesday, Rob announced on his Instagram page that he is once again going to retire from the NFL, saying, quote, I will now be going back into my retirement home walking away from football again with my head held high, knowing I gave it everything I had, good or bad, every time I stepped on the field. The friendships and relationships I have made will last forever, and I appreciate every single one of my teammates, coaches, for giving everything they had as well. From retirement, back to football, winning another championship, and now back to chilling out. Thank you to all. That's cute. Rob, we'll see you at the end of August. Because you could post this all you want. But then when I see the next day, your agent, Drew Rosenhaus, do an interview with Pro Football Talk. And he says, quote, in my opinion, he isn't done. 
I would not be su surprised to see him come back down the road. It would not surprise me if Tom calls him during the season to come back and Rob answers the call. This is just my opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised if Rob comes back during the season or next season. Which is basically a telltale sign that Rob Gronkowski is going to play football for the Tampa Bay Bucks this year once again. All this is, is he is pulling what Brett Favre used to do. Where he didn't want to show up for OTAs, didn't want to show up for training camp. He's hanging out, chilling out, working out, probably keeping himself in the best shape possible. And then at some point, you know, maybe even if it's not the start of the season, by October at the very latest, we're going to hear rumblings about Rob Gronkowski playing football again. Because why else would your agent even float that out into the air if there was not some hint of truth to it if there was not some possibility of you possibly playing once again I mean it, it makes no sense and listen we've all always viewed Rob Gronkowski as kind of a wacky goofy kind of guy that's why it made him it made him so hard to hate him when he was a New England Patriot most of that just coming from the fact that he was coached by uh, the greatest coach in the history of professional sports and my sixth least favorite living American, Bill Belichick. But, you know, to me, this retirement, un unless proven otherwise, quite frankly, it falls on deaf ears with me. It kind of feels like a sham. feels like... Oh, let's just put a story out there. Kind of like Tom Brady's 40-day retirement earlier this year. This isn't real. It, it, it's just an illusion. He does not want to be in training camp. Just say that. Just say you don't want to be in training camp. I'm sure Todd Bowles and the crew will, will accept that. You've earned the right to skip out on it at this point. Rob, we'll, we'll see you at week six at the very latest. Because quite frankly, no one would float this out into thin air or into the real world if they didn't have true designs on once again playing the game of football. So, Gronk, yeah, enjoy your re so-called retirement while you truly can. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, June 27th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a very safe happy, healthy week. No matter what craziness is going on out there in the real world, don't do anything stupid. And I'll talk to you guys again next Tuesday. Happy 4th of July, everyone. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.